As we come now to God's word, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be reading from Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. That's Luke in chapter 2. And as you turn there, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we know that the unfolding of your word gives light. So we need your help now. Would you bring light to our eyes and hearts? Help us to see and to believe and to have peace. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. I know the the bulletin says we'll start in verse 8 and and that'll be our focus. But you know, it's Christmas, so it just seems wrong to skip over those first seven verses. So that'll add a minute maybe to my sermon. If that's, if that's troublesome to you, then maybe we need to pause and take that minute, I suppose. But um, this is Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. I'll start in verse 1. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, and this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And there were in the same region shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. 
I know we hear this so often that you can almost maybe recite part of it in your mind. This past four weeks over the season of Advent, we've been looking at what's happening in the season of, that we celebrate of Christmas, especially in the form of the messages from God given through, through the angels. So this one here now is the message from God through the angels to the shepherds. And every time I read this section, I cannot help but think, lights, please. Does anyone else do this? Maybe too much Charlie Brown. I know everybody has their like movie watching uh, scenes, but there's that, that scene in the Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus recites this whole section on stage. Remember, and right before, you know, Charlie Brown's been, you know, uh, you know really upset as Charlie Brown often is. And, and he says, can't anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And so Linus walks out on stage and says, lights, please. And then he shares then the story of Jesus. This uh, then becomes a moment of rest for Charlie Brown because the whole time, it's, you know, a 30-minute Christmas special, but his whole time he's been struggling and, and tired from the Christmas commercialism. And, and, and that's, it's no news that it's probably even worse than it was the day that Charlie Brown Christmas was written, that, you know, Christmas creeps up earlier and earlier. It, it, it's now in October in the stores, and, and there's Christmas things all around. And, and, and slowly those things are drawing our attention away from the Lord Jesus. But it's almost too easy to take a jab at commercialism because there are far subtler and more dangerous threats to Christmas that would draw us away from Jesus. A much more common threat to Christmas is to make the center of Christmas about family. To make Christmas really about loved ones. Now, you know, I love family. Family's good. It's a gift from God. They're struggling, but it's a good thing. But, but this idea of family as the center of Christmas is everywhere. That Christmas is really a time of togetherness. That all I want for Christmas is you. And if that's all that Christmas is, it will leave us longing and empty. Can you imagine if the message through the, through the angel to the shepherds went like this? Fear not, for behold, it's been a hard year and you need a break, so go home and be with your family. And Merry Christmas. You know, I, I suppose that's better than what things he could have said. You know, fear not, for behold, there's a, there's a sale at Macy's, or if you're not for behold, you know, Amazon has two free two-day shipping. You know, it, it could have been a, a lot of worse things, I suppose. But behold, be with your family. Do you feel how much is missing there? Don't you want more out of Christmas than that? Because if that's all that it is, it would explain why at the end of Christmas what we're left feeling is often, instead of joy, it's just disappointment. Christmas, we know, is 
more than family, it's more than the gifts, it's more than the traditions. Christmas is really, you know this, about the good news of, of Jesus. A good news that would produce a peace in us. So the shepherds then, they're this very iconic part of the, of the Christmas event. Uh, I even played one in a Christmas play years ago. I mean, it's probably because they're the easiest thing to play. You just put a sheet and maybe mom's headband over and voila, instant shepherd. Uh, but so we know about the shepherds, but, there, but there's also a lot that we just don't know and have, have no idea about. For instance, why would the angels talk to the shepherds? We don't know. Or, or why uh, did they just leave the sheep wandering around? Did one guy have to stay behind? He's like, hey, I got it. You go see Jesus. I'll take care of the sheep. Uh, we don't know. Or what happened to the shepherds after this event? We, we just don't know. Luke doesn't tell us any of those things because he just doesn't seem to care about that. Because the story's not about the shepherds. It's also not about the angels. As impressive as they are, it's not their story. You know, if you've been with us these past couple of weeks, that the angels here are primarily messengers. They're blindingly glorious, glowing messengers, but they're messengers. So, for instance, if, if, if you open your mailbox... And, and, and there's an envelope in there that's really uh, fantastic and decorated and really pretty. You know, you wouldn't just leave the envelope closed and hang it on your fridge like that. You'd want to know what's inside because, uh, because even if it's really dressed up and pretty, what's important about that envelope is what the message inside is, what it has to, to tell you. So maybe that message is that you've been accepted to college or, or someone's getting married or, or, or you've been invited to, to Hogwarts or, or something, something really impressive, uh, but you care about then what the envelope says. So these envelopes, these angels, are now saying something to us from, from God. And so then we want to hear what God has to tell us. Some of it's not surprising. Some of it we know. Verse 10, and you look at the beginning of their message, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the start of it. Uh, all right, let me start off by telling you whether the news is good or bad. It's a good news. It's good tidings. It's a good message. Uh, the word here that's used is most often translated in the Bible, gospel. For behold, I bring you Gospel, specifically the announcing or the preaching of the gospel. That's the word used to describe the whole life and work of, of Jesus. And gospel can refer to really any news. Like, hey, we won this battle over here. That's gospel. Uh, but here, the gospel is that there's the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus. That this new king is here. The good news is that there's a special birth. But we, you know, we know this. But as he talks about this good news, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day a Savior. It's a really strange way to say it, isn't it? Let's think about this for a second. Unto you is born this day a Savior. You might expect the angels to say, 
For unto Mary is born this day a Savior, right? I mean, she's the mom. She did the hard work of it all. But the angel says to the shepherds, no, unto, unto you is born a Savior. Unto all of you, in a sense, this child, Jesus, is yours. And this child will be a great joy for, for all the people. Literally, it's going to be for, for every tribe. So this is not just the Jews. He says, on earth peace. This is going to be a global Jesus in the spread of Jesus. And even the shepherds start, start that spread that very night. So they go visit Jesus. And then afterward, they don't go back to their sheep. They go and talk about it to other people. So they've received the message, and now they become messengers themselves, I would Imagine that has some implication for us. But at any rate, the message to them had been, unto you, shepherds, is born this day a Savior. And that message then becomes, unto you, innkeeper and tax collector, is born this day a Savior. Unto you, Jew and Gentile, is born this day a Savior. Unto you, businessman and car mechanic, Unto you, prostitute and alcoholic, is born a savior. Unto you, kings and beggars, is born a savior. Unto you, world, is born a savior. This is the message of God, a message that will be for all people now. As soon as I say that, the message is for all people, but this does not mean that every person in every tribe is saved. John talks about that at the beginning of his gospel. In John chapter 1, he writes this about Jesus. John 1, starting in verse 9, he says, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, here he says that the ones who experience this are all who, all who receive him, or all who, who believe in him. That's, the, that's, that's where all of this comes from. And for those who believe... They have the grace then to become children of God, that they get to see the glory of God in Jesus. Now, when we're talking about glory, some glory is easy to see. You, you just can't miss it. Take your favorite sports team and you go, oh man, that was glorious. That catch was glorious. It's just, it's easy to spot. So an example here in Luke's gospel is when the, when the first angel appears, it's in the middle of the night, and it says that the glory of the Lord shone around him, was shining around him. Something about that angel was 
literally glowing. So an example of this is, is, is when you get up in the middle of the night and, and um, you flip on the light, or maybe if you're hungry and you go and you open the fridge and that tiny little light bulb just like right into your eyeball, you know, and the glory of the fridge shone around them and you go, man, you cannot miss a glory like that. So sometimes when the angel, or when artists paint pictures of the angels, they put the little, you know, halo around to sort of represent the, the glow of the glory of God. And, you know, it's kind of like a little nightlight, and that's just sad. You know, it should be like a, a spotlight on a very dark uh, stage that the angel appears, and like the floodlight on the stage comes on, uh, pow, and they, and they see it. So you can't miss that kind of glory, but there is... There is a kind of glory that we can miss. The glory in reference to, to majesty or magnificence. Glory that refers to a sense of value, of worth, of importance. And that glory can be missed. It can be veiled. So when the shepherds went and saw Jesus in the manger, he was not literally glowing. He had a different kind of glory. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 3, he says this. Even if our gospel, or good news, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says here that, that Jesus is an expression then of the glory of God. But then he says the God of this world, little g, the ruler of this world, which is, which is Satan, then blinds the hearts of some to see it. It's not that they don't have eyes, but their heart can't see it, that, that Satan and, and evil is actually tapping into the sin that's already in our hearts to solidify the hardness of unbelief. And if that happens, you miss the glory of Jesus. Maybe you know people like this that are just missing it. I mean, we're all looking at the same thing. We're looking at the same, same Jesus, but in some way it seems as if we're, we're just not seeing the same thing. Different eyes, and we're just looking at it. It just seems, to, they're just, just like, you just sometimes want to shake a person and go, how can, you, how can you miss that? Perhaps you know people like this. Perhaps that's you. That if you go to church or worship, you might look around and go, what is this? 
What are they seeing that I am not seeing? I feel like I'm missing something, that they're looking at something that I cannot see. And if that's you, you need the light of God to shine in your heart, to cry out to the Lord, lights, please help me to believe. I don't care whether you turn it on like a spotlight in an instant or whether you bring it on like, like the sun in the dawn of the morning slowly and gradually, but Lord, I'm, I want to see you. Not just with my eyes, but I want to see you with my heart so that I'll believe and see your glory. The shepherds saw it. They believed. We, they, they got it. And we know based on their response not only that they went and saw Jesus, but afterward, it says in verse 20, then the shepherds, after they talked with everyone, returned glorifying and praising God. It's evidence of their belief that they would say thank you to God. And the angels, even magnified and, and, and pretty and splendorous as they are, they also glorify God. I mean, we sang that at the beginning in that song that I can't get through without like taking a breath. The, the glory. I can never get all the way through that. I, I guess I don't prepare well, but you have to take, like, take a breath in the middle of it. It's like, come on, angels, that's enough glory. Like, just say it a couple of times and break it up. Uh, at any rate, this Gloria, and then there's the Latin expression, in excelsis Deo. That's a Latin way of saying what's happening in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. In other words, glory to God in the very highest degree. And then the rest of the verses, and on earth peace. And those two things are connected the glory of God in the highest, and on earth peace, that the higher we elevate the glory of God in our lives, the more we will experience peace in our lives. Similar to John the Baptist, who would later say about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. But the paradox there is that as he is increasing, I'm actually experiencing rest, relief, and peace. This is really the high point of the message of the angels. You know, remember, it starts with one angel, which was already enough refrigerator light for them to go, ooh, there's a lot going on here. But then by the end of, of the section with the angels, the one angel gets joined by a whole a whole bunch of angels. And, the, and they're all praising, whereas in verse uh, 13, they're, they're all praising God and, and saying, now it doesn't technically say that they're singing, but it's good news, and it, it sounds like the Psalms, and so, yeah, I don't know if they sang, but, but it, they're at least really happy about it, so we'll say they're singing. Uh, they're praising God and saying these things. Now, the ones singing praise or saying praise are described here as a multitude of the heavenly host. That's a weird word, the heavenly host. And yet, if you're here with us at Big Creek, we, we say it all the time, at least once a Sunday. It's in our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow 
Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. But what's, the, what's a heavenly host? What is that? Who are we talking to when we're saying, heavenly host, praise God. What, what's, what's happening here at Christmas when this heavenly host appears? This is my favorite part, and we'll ride this to the end. The word host is all over the Old Testament, more than 250 times. And it's even in part of one of the descriptors of God. God's described as the God or the Lord of hosts. Uh, some Bibles will translate that Lord Almighty and try to explain what's going on, but, but that doesn't quite get it. What, the Lord of hosts means something very specific. And when we're talking about host, we get a glimpse into its meaning in Old Testament Israel. So, so Israel's on the edge of the promised land, and they're getting ready to go in, and, and they're there with Joshua. And you know Joshua, he fit the Battle of Jericho, and that's where they're going. They're about ready to fight this first battle in the promised land. So they're right on the edge. This is then in, in Joshua chapter 5. They meet this mysterious figure. Here's God's people Israel on the edge of the promised land. Joshua chapter 5, just a few verses here, starting in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So this person that they meet describes himself as the commander of the Lord's army or the commander of the Lord's host. A host in the Bible is an army. And so now to the shepherds, it's not just an appearance of angels, it's an appearance of an army, a full battalion of angels. That's weird. I mean, what are, what are, what's an army doing at Christmas? I mean, where's the war? Come on, Christmas is like peace and joy time, right? Here we go a wassailing, not, you know, here we, here we go a battling. Where, where's the war? And the answer I think you know already is just, it's, ev it's everywhere. That there is war raging in the whole world, not only country to country, but in our homes. Maybe you even this morning had war with someone at home. There's war and battle all over the world, and even since almost the very beginning of the world, there has been war against Satan, war against sin, war against strife and sorrow, war against the kingdom of the earth and against the kingdom of our own hearts that we have set ourselves up as enemies of God. The whole world is at war, and so the heavenly host 
has seen fierce combat beyond our wildest imagination. But now, at Christmas, at the birth of the Lord into the world, this army of, a, of the heavenly host comes, not waving swords and spears, but with an announcement about a kid saying, unto you is born this day a savior. They then become, instead of a battling army, they're now a, a singing army proclaiming peace on earth in Jesus. It's really here a declaration of battle victory. This then is the final message of God that we'll look at through the angels. We've heard the messages from the angels that would call us to repent and to turn from sin to Jesus. We've heard the angels announce the favor of God in Jesus. We've heard the angels describe Jesus as one who saves from sin. And now, lights please, you know, hark, listen, the angels sing glory to the newborn king. And for all who believe, peace, because God and sinners are now reconciled. Would you please pray with me? Our God, we long to see your glory. Help us to see you and believe in a way that brings you honor and praise and brings us us peace. Would you help us to marvel at you, to see you as glorious, and to know you, our Savior and Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.